Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week, we are going to be reviewing a heavy Euro game, which is Gaia Project. Yeah. And we actually, for the discussion topic, we have um, a little something special for you. It's kind of like a little, uh, we'll say a little two-parter. We have one of our board game friends joining us. His name is Adine, who specifically likes hard, punishing games. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna he's gonna be on. We're gonna kind of break this up in a little two episode kind of deal. First one, we're gonna just kind of chat about what a heavy Euro game entails, and then next week he's going to give us his top ten heavy Euro games. So yeah. that will be fun. Mm-hmm. If you like heavy Euro games, this will be a good one to listen to. If you don't like heavy Euro games, then you definitely want to listen um, and figure out what games not to play. <laughs> either either way, you should listen, and you will know either these are the games I want to play or the games I don't want to play. Adine actually has a very unique mindset when it comes to how he approaches games and how he likes to interact with games. So it'll be it'll be cool to hear his perspective. And like I said, that's going to be in our discussion topic. Before we get into our review, I do want to bring up something. We're, this is going to be the second time we've talked about it on this podcast. But Natasha gave me Box One, the escape room style game from Neil Patrick Harris. And she has given me a lot of grief that I don't do those types of games. So I decided, mm-hmm. you know what? It, I'm going to I'm going to play it. It's a good it's a good one to start with if you don't do those style of games. It's, this is a good one, I think. Yes. So I uh I did it. Um I started it with my friend. We didn't have enough time to finish it. Then I just finished it by myself. And I have to say, I had a lot of fun. A yeah? lot more fun than I thought I was going to. I thought I would like go through it and think that I'm actually like not smart in the slightest, but turns out I'm not the dumbest person either, so it, it worked out pretty good. <laughs> it's a good intro level one because it, it's not terribly. It doesn't have a lot of like logic and weird weird things going on. It's not very obtuse like some of them are. Yeah, and, and what's funny is when you open up the box and you start doing it, you're just like, "How is this? Like, how is this going to be an escape room style game?" And then the game just kind of unfolds on itself and allows you to like shows you kind of what the game is actually supposed to be. So it's 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 an interesting game. I don't want to necessarily give away anything because I feel like it's an entire experience, but the things that they did I thought were clever. I enjoyed the interacting with technology for it. it you know, it just all the all the things that kind of put together, I think I think it was like a cool fun package. And because of that, you also let me borrow the unlock the pandemic ticket to ride uh mysterium box right yep so i'm reading the i'm reading the rules on those so i can sit down and do those now so i'm gonna oh. i'm gonna give those a try so we'll see we'll see you know maybe maybe it's not too late for me maybe it's not too late <laughs> those are a little harder like the box one i thought was just just more fun and clever and unique but I did like, of all the Unlock games, those ones were my favorite. I think the Star Wars series was the best, and the the game series is the best. Just because of the the theme, like the pandemic. I think the pandemic one was my favorite out of those three. Well, and that's the hardest one, correct? It could be. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't remember. It's, you know, I've talked a lot on this podcast about escape room style games and how I'm not good at puzzles. And, like, if you need me to find something, I'll find something. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Uh but I think I'm going to start giving them a try because you're not going to get better unless you do them, right? Yeah, that's certainly true. Like Max and I have been doing all the exit games. Like we've we've done all of them except for one now. Like little except for we've only done one of the advent calendars. So I think there's two advent calendars we haven't done. And then there's one exit game we haven't done together. I've done it, but he has not done it. And he's gotten pretty good at them now. Like he's solving puzzles on his own without my help. You know, you, you just you get better at them. Yeah, you learn the like little the natural progression of what you're supposed to you should be doing at this particular moment. Yeah, because that's what's you kind of get stuck staring at it, going, "I don't even know what I'm trying to solve." But like as you play them more, you get better and better, and you you figure out the hints and the clues that they give you. I, I don't know, you just kind of learn it. They're fun. Plus, I've been replaying some of them. So the ones that I did with my husband years ago, 
uh, Max and I have been redoing and and I don't remember them enough to like remember how to do them but I remember them just enough to like kind of get me over that initial hard hump like okay this sounds familiar I know it has to do with this hmm and I can figure it out really quickly which is really fun <laughs> so I still get that nice. same satisfaction of figuring it out and but you know I don't feel like I cheated even though like I'm sure it's like deep in my back of my memory <laughs> that's hilarious oh that's so good but they're funner the second time around. <laughs> <laughs> the the th- the funny thing is, you know, we've talked about would you pl- replay like Pandemic Legacy any of the seasons or whatever, mm-hmm. and I definitely would. Oh, I yeah. the problem the problem with some of them is I know like the major twists, I, those I remember because those are the most memorable things for me. But as far as like the journey getting there, I don't necessarily remember all of that. So. I would, you know, replaying them, I think I would still enjoy it. I don't know. It's like rewatching your favorite movie almost, right? Yeah. And, and um, so I I recently replayed Pandemic Legacy Season 1 with my son since he didn't play with us, with us the first time. And that was almost 10 years ago now, I bet, close to it. And um, I didn't remember hardly any of it. You know, like I remembered enjoying it and I remembered the big ar- overarching storyline, but it didn't yep. it didn't spoil my fun at all. It was just as fun. And we went down a different pathway. He liked to do different things. So it was slightly different. And it was just as fun of an experience. So, yeah, I love replaying that type of... I'll replay them all the time. They don't bother me. Did you defer to him on some of the decisions to be made in the the Legacy game? Oh, yeah. All of them. Okay. Which Mm -hmm. is is cool because then, you know, he feels like it's his game, you know, and you're, you're helping him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he really liked, like, especially in season zero i think where you could search for people i'm like we need to focus on this objective and he would always take the time out to like search and scratch off new cards and i'm like that doesn't even matter you're wasting a turn but he always wanted to do that so I just played differently with him you know than it would than it did with my husband and my daughter who are more strategic and trying to win he's more like sure. oh, i want to discover things everyone pl- everyone's playing their own game i guess yeah mm-hmm. all right how about we get into this review shall we yeah All right, so this week we're going to talk about Gaia Project. This is a space exploration game designed by uh, Jans Drogenmuller and Helge Ostertang, art by Dennis Lahausen, and it is published by Capstone Games. So in this game, players are going to be playing one of the 14 different alien races striving to peacefully colonize the Terra Mystica galaxy. The first thing I want to point out is that this review is going to be super basic, uh, the game is going to the game is quite heavy and will probably and that will probably not be reflected in this overview. So Gaia Project is going to be played over the course of six rounds. Each round will have a special scoring condition. Every time you do that action, you gain the specified points. I do want to take a second to point out that there is not a ton of different ways to score points in this game. You could, in theory, do a lot, but not necessarily score a ton. So each round is going to be broken down into four phases. The first being income. Players will receive the this based on their player boards, any round boosters they have, tech tiles, and their current level on uh, each research area. Next up is the Gaia phase. This is where players can convert transdim planets into Gaia planets if they have placed their Gaia former. The third phase is the action phase, and this is going to be the bulk of the game. Each player in turn order will be taking actions until they pass. So what are the different actions? Well, uh, first, a player can build a mine. Each faction has specific planets that they can build on, and any other planet needs to be terraformed to fit their needs. They can start a Gaia project, which is placing one of their Gaia formers on a transdim planet. They could upgrade an existing structure. They could form a federation. This is another way players can score points. This is typically a cluster of colonized planets. You can research, advancing on one of the six research tracks, and you can use power to take power actions on the research board. This is actually an interesting part of the game because each player will be managing their power. Power can be moved in a couple ways, like through income, but a lot of times it's going to be moved when another player builds or upgrades a structure that is within two spaces of one of your structures. You have to lose points to move it, but it very well could be worth it. There are going to be three zones for your three zones your power sits in, one, two, and three, and you can only spend power to take actions when they have moved to zone three, and you have to move them in order. So let's say you can move four power. 
you would first have to move any power you have in zone zone one. So let's say three. This gets moved into zone two. Since you've moved everything from zone one and you still have one le move left over, you can now move one power from zone two to zone three. The player can also do any sort of special actions they have acquired or unlocked through the course of the game. And finally, a player can pass. When a player passes, they gain a new round booster tile. And based on when they pass, it will change turn order. So for example, the first to pass becomes the new first player. The last phase in a round is cleanup, and this is going to be basically just resetting the board. So after players have played six rounds, they move into a final scoring. Players will get points for leftover resources, uh, how far they've progressed on the different tech tracks, and they will also score two endgame scoring conditions. These are things players are going to be fighting over during the course of the game. And whoever has the most points wins. I think what makes this game great is the depth of strategy that it offers. Yes, it is very, very heavy strategy. There are a few ways to earn points. Like the, There's some end game scoring like where you can get a lot of points, but the majority of your points are going to come in, in throughout, how you, throughout the game, and that's really varies game by game. So it's different, and your strategy is going to be different how you get your, your buildings out because a lot, a lot of the ways to score points are getting those buildings out. But, you know, they only score on certain rounds, so you want to be strategic about that. Uh, it's also very, very tight. So the energy economy, you have to move your discs around all the way to phase three. Once they're in phase three, you can spend them to do additional actions, but they're very expensive. But you need to do that because otherwise you just won't have enough resources to do what you want to do. It's it's very, very heavy strategy takes a little bit to build up and to feel like you're, you've got some momentum behind you. Um, it's definitely a game that you've got to play multiple times be, to really um, get any kind of grasp of how to play it. The, we often talk about depth and strategy in games and then like how difficult are like the player turns. So there's a handful of actions that you can do. Do you feel like the actions are overly complicated? No, it's not a complicated game. Um, except for like the Gaia's, like uh, understanding the those Gaia's and the terraformings a little a little wonky. That can yep. be a little bit more complicated. But really, like you can build a building if you have the resources to do so. You've got some rules around where you can go, or you can do any one of the open action spaces if you have any, or if you have the energy to spend that are on the board. You know, overall, it's fairly simple. The The complexity really comes with how tight the game is. And like, you can't, I mean, you could you could do two actions and be done with your turn because now you're out of resources, you know, and yeah. then that's no fun. Everyone else is still playing. And you're like, how the hell are you still playing? You know, what are you doing over there? Like, they're clearly doing something I'm not seeing. And, you know, like finding those different ways to, to get more out of your turn is really where the this game is is that's where the, the strategy comes into play, I suppose you could say. This game does something for me that I think is very similar to how I feel when I play Tapestry by Stonemeyer Games. Because Tapestry, I always feel like I want to squeeze out as much as I possibly can from each, each era. And mm -hmm. in this game, I feel the same way. I'm trying to squeeze out as much as I possibly can in each round. And I that's what I think I like about it is... Like you said, a player will do two actions and then not have anything to do, and then another player does six. Well, how did that player take six? They were clearly mm -hmm. setting up for something. The The replayability in this game it comes from changing up those scoring tiles, the round scoring tiles, changing up the end game scoring, and then just interacting with the players. I think that's where a lot of it comes, because you're all jockeying for the different planets on the board. Now, each uh, alien faction has a specific planet type they like, but then they can go to an, another set, which only, you know, you terraform one time, and then the next set's two times, and the next set's three times. So you can terraform any of the planets. It just, it costs you a lot more in order to do that. So trying to find those, those ones that, like, you can just get in and kind of, you know, colonize before somebody else gets there. I I like I I appreciate the game for what it is, and I understand why people like it. For me, it just it's such a ramp up. Like, it, it the beginning, like the few the few, 
first few turns are so tight that you don't feel like you're accomplishing much, or at least maybe the second the second round is because the first round you start off with some resources, so it's not quite as bad. But then all of a sudden you've spent all your resources and then the, the second round comes up and you've hardly gotten any income and now you're not doing anything. And and I like it. Like I start to enjoy it once I get like uh, into the, the fourth and fifth round because then I'm actually earning some resources. I'm building my bu- big buildings. I've got some um, tech additions added onto my board that I'm now I feel like I'm really doing a lot of stuff, but it takes like so much to get there. For me, it's just like, it's just so tight and hard to accomplish anything that to me, it just, it's not filled with a lot of joy. It's filled with a lot of like, oh, I guess I can only do this, <laughs> you know? And maybe that's just because I'm not good at it. So you feel like it's a slog to get to those to get to those later rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just wish it was a little bit more um a little, little bit less tight where I had more resources and I could get a lot more done maybe in less less rounds maybe I'd like it then or or I just started off with with more. But I mean, it doesn't I don't think you could do it with you could start off with more and have the same number of rounds because at the end it, it feels like you've accomplished a lot. Like you're, you've moved up a few tracks and earned some points that way. You've got like almost everybody's on all the planets everywhere. So that's kind of filled up. So I feel like it's a complete game and what it is. It's just not, I feel like it takes too long to get to the fun part for me. There's a lot you have to manage in this game. So when you place mines out, the mines will give you ore income. And then if you uh, upgrade those structures, you can end up getting money. And the two main things that you need in order to build structures is ore and money. So you're very much, you're you're constantly trying to be aware of what your income level is in both those two categories. You need less ore than you do money, but there's a, there's a handful of, you know, free actions that I didn't quite, I didn't go over in the overview, but like you can exchange ore for money. Every ore is a money ore is a little bit more valuable, you know, but mines will only give you ore in order to upgrade a mine into a trading post. The mine goes back onto your board. If you trade, change a trading post into a research lab or planetary institute, then, you know, that mine, that trading post comes back onto your board. So now you lose that income. So you're constantly trying to finagle the amount of income you're getting for the following turn. Yeah, I, I I like that you're putting these buildings out and you're getting more income, but then as you then as you put out an upgraded building, you're putting that smaller building back in and then you're not getting that income anymore. So it's just it just feels so tight like across the board. Everything's so tight, you know? And I think if I played it a few more times, I probably would enjoy it more. Um it's just so hard to like bring myself to want to play it, you know? Is it because of how difficult it is? Is that the main reason? Yeah. It's for me like the, the how tight it is makes it not fun. Like I don't enjoy like suffering through turns and not being able to feel like I'm accomplishing much. Like I like I like building up and getting things. In this game you're building up but you're also losing things. So it's not necessarily easier. I am curious to know how you feel about the like the power cycling portion of things. So you know, you have those three areas, you're moving them zone one, two, and three. And then when you're in three, you can actually use them to take actions. And the vast majority of the ways you're going to be moving them is through like losing points when the other players are building next to you. Like, how do you feel about that? Um, it, It's fine. It's not terribly interesting for me. It's just another resource you have to manage, but you, you have to like earn it twice so you have to level up to level two and then level then one then level up to three and then once it's done three you can spend it and if it's in two you can discard one one to then move one up so that's another way to do that which is hard to do because you don't have very much of it so to me it's just another like really tight resource that you have to manage you know it's it's fine what do you think of it in some ways it's like as interesting as it is, sometimes I wonder if it's just not worth it to lose points in order to move it. You know, like some of those main, the main things that you're getting on the re, re, um, research board from those, you know, from all your power is like extra money, extra ore, extra knowledge, uh, being able to terraform a planet to, you know, your type of thing. So it's 
these they little extra. Do, they let you do more things on your turn, yeah. But if you have like a good economy, do you need to waste victory points on those power tokens in order to get more money? I mean, probably not money, no, but there's so many things you can do with them. Yeah, there, I just, there, I think there's moments in the game where you have to decide if it's worth it at that particular moment. And mm-hmm. I, I found myself thinking from time to time, it, right now it's just not worth it. Especially if I know I'm going to move like two, but it's like all, everything's in zone one. Then why would I even like, I'm, there's, I'm not going to be able to push anything into zone three this, this turn. So is it worth me losing points in order to push a couple up? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe later in the game too, when you can move move them on your own each round. Maybe I don't know. It, it, yeah, you need them though to duel a whole lot. Like, yeah, you only get two ore by spending four of them, but you need that two ore in order to build that building. Yeah, sometimes you do. There's mm-hmm. this interesting like proximity factor in this game too, where, well, it's hard to. Say, I don't want to say nexus necessarily proximity factor, but. There's a lot to do with range in this game. Everything, there's always, you're always thinking about range mm-hmm. because initially your range is zero, is one. You can develop anything that's within one space of you. There's a specific uh, research track you can go up that expands that up to a length of like four. So you can eventually get more range. And then you have these this resource, which is QIC, which you can spend basically to bump up your range. Mm-hmm. But everything's based on like you're always trying to like find enough range to get to that next planet or you want to like develop a, pl- uh, you know, one of the planets that's surrounded by your neighbors because as soon as they start developing those planets, it gives you that opportunity to move those power tokens into the different zones. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 always interesting figuring out like where you want to place your your where do you, what planets do you want to develop? What like where do you want to end up being on the board? I think there's a lot of interesting decision space within that within that board that you develop yeah it's it's there's a lot of interesting decisions and it's not very clear what what is better i think that's what makes this game heavier is definitely like it's not clear like the best thing to do you know this is the type of game that's like with with experience you'll learn it but also like i think there's different ways you can go about it and do well you know and 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 i think if you'll enjoy this game really depends on if you if you enjoy digging in and finding those unique ways of scoring points and doing well in this type of game because it's not it's not laid out in front of you like you you have to figure out how you're going to score points and win this game because it's not easy to 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 look at and tell what to do and if you like that puzzliness of like what do i do everything's so hard what am I going to focus on? And then like figuring that out and being successful. If you enjoy that puzzliness of it, I think you would enjoy this game. But if if it's, if you don't like being challenged in that way and you would rather have it kind of more direct and how to get points and how to do well, like then you probably won't like this game. Yeah, this I think the game's heaviness is, comes from having to figure out how you're going to progress within the game. And there's a lot of decisions that you need to make on turn zero before the game truly begins because the the board is laid out. So you lay out the board. You can play it in the rule book. It recommends a certain setup in the beginning. But after that, you can randomly set it up. So you randomly set it up. You randomly set up which what your scoring tiles are. You randomly set up, you know, your end game scoring. You randomly get a faction and you sit and you look at all of those pieces and you think, okay. What am I going to try to do? Like this one, this one, you know, round scoring marker in round one, like technically I could achieve it, but I would be all in on this one thing. And then I would be, you know, without a bunch of stuff. So maybe I don't even worry about that. I'm now going to focus, you know, in two rounds doing this scoring marker. Then I also need to keep track of the the end game scoring because there's a lot of points that be happening there. There's a lot of things you're managing within the game. And it Mm -hmm. starts before you even place one of your minds on a planet. Yeah, and deciding what faction you want to use because each each unique um, board player board has a faction on it, and they have two different powers that you can choose from. There's there's a lot in this game, and every game is going to be very different. Yeah, it's it it definitely there's a lot you have to think about each round. You're always thinking about you know following rounds. You're thinking about 
when am I going to take the specific actions within the round? There are certain things that you need to make sure you do, but you would give up on other things. You know, we talked about those power tokens again, you know, using it to get seven money. Sometimes you might pass first so you can be the first person to do it. So you can make sure you're getting that income because you need that income. There's so many little things that you're you're thinking about in this game. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not for everybody. No, it's 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 definitely a heavy game, and I, you you've played it with me a couple times. Yep, and I've played the original Terra Mystica a couple times as well, years and years ago though. And I have not played Terra Mystica, um, and I but I've heard this is like a much better version. You in Terra Mystica, you can get like blocked off, and then you're just done. Like you're yeah. just gonna lose the game. This one's yeah. a little bit more open. Um, I also understand like the power tokens in Terra Mystica. Once you like, if you spend them in some way that like get them out of your cycle, you can never get them back. You have what you have, and that's all you're ever gonna get. Where in yeah. Gaia Project, you can accumulate them. But um, okay, what uh, so what? Where are you gonna give this game? What are you gonna rate it? Um, I liked it better than Terra Mystica because of the reasons you just mentioned. I do like the space theme a lot. Um, I enjoy the game i i i understand why people enjoy it and i think if i were to devote some time to it my rating might go up but at this point i just i don't know that i really want to so for me i'm coming at a six this game is just too heavy for me that it it takes the fun out of the game i don't enjoy the puzzliness of like trying to figure out what to do and how to make this work it's a little too complicated there's still some rules in there that i just um haven't wrapped my mind around yet and i just don't know that i want to put that kind of effort into learning it because i don't know that i love the game enough to to make it worth the effort so for me it's a six yeah that i mean that certainly makes sense the it's interesting the rules for the most part don't seem super complicated it's all the like intermittent intermingling of the rules within themselves mm-hmm. so like building a mine you can as long as it's your planet type, you know, it costs you two money and one ore. Pretty simple. Except now you have to factor in how far away is it? How am I going to get the distance I need in order to actually develop that thing? Am mm-hmm. I putting it next to other people so now they can start moving those power tokens? Um, I really liked it. I'm coming in at a nine. I, I think it's really good. It, it hits a lot of the things I'm looking for in a game there's so many different things that I'm thinking about when I'm playing that game. And it gives me this like turn angst that I'm always like, take your turn, take your turn, take your turn. There's a, there's a handful of games that do this. Like we always talk about it in scythe that like, I'm always like, just take your turn. Cause I want to take my turn. I know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. This is, this gives me that same sort of feeling. I'm just like, come on. I like, I know what I need to do. Don't take my spot. Like I know what I, I know the next two things I want to do. If you take one of the things away, I can do the next thing. Like, let's just progress through this. So it gives mm-hmm. me that turn angst. It gives me that tension. Like, don't take that thing that I need because I want that thing and I need it to build this federation. Yeah, it just, for me, it comes together. I think it's very good. I think a lot of people who are into heavy games are going to like this. You know, we often talk about, yeah. would we recommend this game? I don't know if I'm going to necessarily recommend it to everybody in the audience. Prime example is the difference between you and me. I came in at nine, you came in at six. Does yeah. it make sense for us to recommend this game? I think people like myself, people like Adine who enjoy those t- those hard, like crunchy, you know, deep strategy Euro games are going to love this game. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that are just like, that's a hard no for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I think it, listening to this, like what I think of it and what Bob thinks of it, I think you'll know if you're going to be interested in this game. Do you like heavy, really heavy crunchy euros then you'll probably like this game it's a very good well done game that it it just works really well it comes together really well it's got a lot of variability with each play there's not one strategy you know you've got the different factions that have different abilities there's a lot of really good things about this game and if you're willing to invest that time and energy into it and you like these heavy games then yes this is a very very good game it i've just not it's just not for me i i enjoy like one step lighter games. I enjoy heavy games, but um, not this heavy and this tight. I don't enjoy super heavy games that are very tight, you know, and I just can't accomplish a lot. I like my heavier games to to give me a lot and make me feel good. And this game just kind of 
slaps me down and punishes me. <laughs> it brings you down to build you back up, Natasha. That's what so it is. I would I would still recommend it to people if you if you came to me and was like, I really like heavy your games. Do you think I'd like IA Project? Yeah, absolutely. You should totally play it. You would really like it. So yeah, if we're gonna recommend it, yeah, I would totally recommend it. But you know if you're gonna like this game or not. Like if you don't like heavy games, if you don't like you know, I mean it's not even a terribly long teach, but you know, if you if you don't want to have to figure out complex strategy in the first time you play a game, then you then you'll know you, this is probably not for you. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's gonna wrap up the game that we are reviewing this week. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be joined with one of our gaming friends, Dean, and we're going to go ahead and dive into what exactly is a heavy Euro game. Yeah. All right. Welcome back. In this discussion topic, like we kind of already were talking about, we're going to be diving into heavy style Euro games. And we are actually joined with our friend, Adin. Adin, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. So we're going we're gonna to have him on this week and next, and we're going to kind of chat about heavy Euro games. And this week's discussion topic, we're going to kind of dive into, like, what is a heavy Euro game? Um, so we brought in our friend, Adin, who often talks about how he loves heavy Euro games, specifically punishing heavy Euro games. Mm-hmm. which i didn't i do not love so this is this will be good you'll get a different perspective not just mine i think my heavy my favorite heavy euro games would be a lot uh a lot less punishing i think we've clashed about this a few times in the past natasha <laughs> you guys you guys share different opinions about what a heavy euro game should make you feel like mm-hmm. so we so we brought a dean specifically because we wanted to hear his perspective because we've often at game night, we've often talked talked about it. So, Adin, why do you like punishing heavy Euro games? So, I'll probably start with what Natasha thinks and how I differ from her. Uh, <laughs> she wants board games to be fun. Yeah. Um, and I agree with her. But my perspective of fun is I want these to be more like a challenging Sudoku puzzle that I that I have to solve and have epiphanies about and by the end of it you want to feel like you've desert or earned something rather so i think heavy punishing games if the decisions you're trying to make are strenuous that's the kind of game i want to be playing yeah you like you like to feel like you've earned that victory yeah yeah it wants to I, i want to feel like i did what i achieved not the game gave it to me and I think that's the big difference between light, medium, heavy games. That scale sort of shifts to the entirety of the game is in your control. There's not really much to, oh, something came out that I can grab. Lucky me. So that's the kind of thing I look forward to in, in playing these games. That's an interesting train of thought because it makes me wonder. So based on that logic, take catch up, uh, catch up mechanisms. You're not going to be a fan of those, right? Or like, how do you feel about catch-up mechanics? You know, I think it can be implemented in a way that it's something you might be able to even plan for in games like, I don't know, it's not a catch-up mechanism per se, but Power Grid, where if you have less things built, Ugh. you go earlier in turn order. Uh, yeah. It's something that benefits you for being quote-unquote behind, but I think that is a choice that you can make um, in that game to be behind in a pivotal moment, pick up a card that came out, get a crucial choke point. I haven't played Power Grid in a while, so I don't know exactly. But I I think, yeah, catch-up mechanisms can be something that you plan for. And in that case, they're great. Um, But if it's strictly like you're behind here, you get something. I don't know. There's There's a fine line, and I think some games do it better than others. I'm thinking of those games that where you can play through the entire game and and play just fine but but just fail miserably at it because you you can play the game but do really poorly you have to make really good decisions in the game opposed to a game where it's like okay you can kind of make like like you can't make bad decisions right like mm-hmm. in a game like 
Caverna. I just recently played it and I like that game a lot. Like you could pretty much take anything and any mm-hmm. spot and it's all good. Like you're going to get a bunch of stuff if you go here, you're going to get a bunch of stuff if you go here. Like it's really hard to like to do to do bad. We're like the games that you like, you can do perfectly fine and still hardly score any points because you're not you have to do good. You have to have strategic optimal moves. Yeah, that was something I was thinking about when I was trying to define what heavy games or what heavy means to me. If you can just make moves and earn points, you'll feel like you're doing fine. And at the end, you might have done fine. I'll bring up a game like Zulkin, for example. You can play an entire game and score like 10 points while I score 110. Just because making points and doing things aren't... They're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that, well, we can talk about it when we define what heavy is, but I think that's one of the facets of what makes games heavy. Uh, the disconnect between maybe building an engine and then earning points with that engine is two separate things rather than, oh, you collect this, get a few points. You went over there, get a few points. That took a bunch of games and moved them from heavy to medium, even though I think they're punishing. Uh, just because that puzzle isn't there, I think they don't fall into heavy then. Okay, so for those that don't know, let's define what a Euro game is before we start defining what a heavy Euro game is. So what <laughs> is what is a Euro game? Uh, lots of points, right? Or, or points. I shouldn't say lots of points. Points opposed to like a winner versus a, you know, the first one to like, you know, conquer something. It would be like, as it would say, typically it's a game where you earn points. Um, there's a lot of resource management. Um, there's not a lot of player interaction. The player interaction isn't like combat focused. Yeah. Or it's very, the variables aren't, you're not relying on, let's say, dice rolls in order to achieve something per se. Now, dice can be included in Euro games, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, having dice makes it a non Euro game. But typically, the interactions are not combative with each other. Mm-hmm. A lot of Euro games are he- more heavy in strategy and less luck. There are Euro games that definitely have some luck factors, but typically, a Euro game the the luck will be heavily uh, heavily mitigated. Adine, what would be your clar- uh, classifications for a Euro game? I think what Natasha said was pretty spot on. Um, I think that there is player interaction, but it's more like uh, cars on the road they just get in your way like if you have to go one lane over someone's in that lane oh they're in my way so no there's not usually combat there is a lot of earning points i wouldn't say you earn a lot of points because of this some of the games on my list i imagine your list is going to contain a lot of games that are like you win with 12 points or like <laughs> 15 points not like you know 230 or 450 or whatever uh it's funny that you say that i think and we could talk about this when we uh, talk about what a heavy game is but a lot of these end up being economic so you're ending the game with two thousand dollars which is a lot of points if you think of it that way but it's not the same thing so what criteria do we have that shifts a just normal quote-unquote euro game just you have your baseline euro game what criteria turns it into a a heavy euro game yeah so when i was thinking about this i came up with three i think facets that mostly comprise of what a heavy euro means to me sure um i'm sure there could be more if i really sat down and and nitpicked but generally speaking number of rules is probably the one that comes to mind first to most people sure something that the teach is 75 minutes long just because there's a lot to explain (laughs) Oh my God, Natasha wouldn't sit through 75 minutes. She would be out in the first like five and then she'd be <laughs> asking questions the entire time. How do I do this again? How do I do this again? Natasha, well, did you ever want to play Tricarion or have you played Tricarion? I have not actually, no. No? Okay. Yeah, that's would a you though? Uh, no, I don't want to. No. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. You had me at it's a lot. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm saying it's a lot, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, facts, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think number of rules is, like I said, the, the first thing that people think of, uh, at least I think, and you can tell me what you think. Yeah, 30-page rule book. I mean, that's a heavy euro. I don't know, man. Euro, like, rule books nowadays, 30 pages isn't anything because, like, 
90% of the page is graphics and there's like four sentences. Actually, that is that is apt to notice. Uh, something like Bitoku, for example, I don't think is a, a super heavy game. Well, I don't know. We can, we can talk about that maybe too. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think it's particularly heavy, but the rule book, yeah, I think it was 38 pages. But now things come with illustrations. Back then it used to be just bullet points. I think it's perfectly fine to say that heavy is subjective, right? Like, Sotoku is going to be heavy for a lot of people, and that's perfectly fair. You know, just because somebody who who likes heavy euros like yourself, it's not going to be as heavy. So, you know, I think it's perfectly fine to, to each have our own category of what heavy is. So, you know, in this context, we're really talking about what heavy euros mean, what that means to us. And to me... If I were to make a top 10 list of heavy Euro games, they would be a lot lighter than a Dean's because because I don't think I can make a top 10 list of truly heavy games that I enjoy because I just don't enjoy a lot of them or I haven't played a lot of them enough to enjoy them. That leads me to the next point of why I think a heavy Euro game is a heavy Euro game to me is a game that you really have to play, you know, multiple times in order to fully understand the game. You know, like a, a midweight euro, I could play once or twice and I could understand and do well. Or a heavy euro, I need to invest the time in and I'm not going to enjoy it until I get past that hump of learning learning it three or four more times. And then I can properly give it an opinion because I fully understand the game. And to me, that's what I, how I would define a heavy euro. I'm curious, and I know I've given you a lot of grief on this podcast about how you don't sit through like rules teaches or mm-hmm. explanations. I am curious if part of that, you know, that learning process is because you don't like to like you just like to play and do. So if uh, a heavy Euro game has 20 mechanics that integrate into itself and you are familiar with how three or four of them work, it'll take you those plays in order to like figure out the rest of them. Do you think the way you learn affects those things? Like, do you think that's the reason why? A hundred percent. Because I'll sit through the teach because people will refuse to not teach me the game. Like even if everybody at the table knows the game, they like will not acknowledge that I'm going to not listen to you for the half an hour you spend teaching me. Well, you might as well just start playing and teach me as we go because you're going to have to repeat it anyways. Because I physic- I just cannot enter that information into my brain without having some kind of context. You know, like I can say, okay, in order to do this, I have to do this. So that means, and I have to like push the pieces around. I have to physically do it in order to understand it. I have to have a place to put it in my brain. And so in order to to learn these games, I need to play them. And once I play them through, then it clicks and I'm fine. And then I can play it again from the beginning and, and make better decisions. Well, and it's not like you're in the minority with this. I think there's a lot of people that learn the same way. That they just need to start manipulating pieces and doing things. I know, at least from my perspective, and I think a Dean's the same way, and he can talk about that, you know, in a second. I'd rather hear all the rules. You know, I want to know if I do, like, I want to know how everything kind of just interacts, like overhead view. You know, like, how how are we scoring points? Like, how are we doing these things? Like, I'd much rather sit through an hour-long rules teach and sit down and play and then maybe ask a handful of questions throughout the play as I like interact with things, I'd much rather have that. Adine, are you very similar in that regard? Yeah, I think that goes back to how I view the fun games in air quotes in this yeah. hobby as being uh, somewhat like puzzles. I mean, if you're doing a Sudoku puzzle, I'll, I'll use that as, a, as an example because it's. Um, I think people understand the concept of it. You know, it wouldn't be a game. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be a puzzle if you could just put the numbers wherever you wanted. Um, yes. Yep. And I mean, you could do that and figure out at the end that you've not solved the puzzle. Um, but yes, I do agree. I, I really want to know everything. Compared with other people that I play with, I'm on the lower end of how much rules I need to know before I feel comfortable playing the game. Some people literally have to know 100. percent I think yep. I'm okay with knowing like 75. I don't really need to know details if I'm making a move and you're like, oh, by the way, that costs a dollar or you can't do this because you did this. Fine, I'll, I'll learn that lesson right there. Um, but for the most part, I think the important thing is I want to know how to score. And something that differentiates between medium and heavy, again, to me, is that 
a medium game might have just points on the board where you go and it's listed and you know that you're scoring points and it's very obvious where points come from. Um, a heavier game might be self-defined where the points come from yep. and you really need to make that clear to someone like, hey, you know, you're going to be having a lot of fun over here, but this is where you score points and this is how you get over there and score these points. Mm-hmm. You have to create the avenue to score points as opposed to just getting points for doing Correct. stuff. The game, the game. I mean, it might reward you with some here and there. Um, I do think some more point salad games can be heavy, uh, but typically it's it's a little bit opaque. Do you like point salad games then? Oh, yeah. Some of my uh, favorite games are point salad. Okay. Um, so it hurt not putting them on a list of, of heavy games that I love. Because I'd love to talk about them, but I don't think they're heavy. So we can go through at the end maybe um, what games didn't make the cut and maybe why. So I wanted to go back to the three facets of what I think uh, a heavy game comprises of. So the first one was amount of rules, and I think that's pretty obvious. I think the next one is the opacity of how you score points, like we said. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of uh, hoops that you're need, going to need to jump through in your head to be able to figure out how to even play the game, but then how to play well. And I think heavy games really excel at that, that they make it a, a point to, you know, you can learn the, the game, the rules, but to actually perform well at it, it requires an additional layer of thinking, not just simply understanding, I go here, I get $3. It's figuring out then what to do with those $3. That's the, you know, the part that makes it heavy. Yeah. So I see that with a lot of heavy games too, that, okay, I can go take this one action and, and get this, uh, th- this $3, for example, or I could take this other action, which then lets me do this, which lets me get $2 cause I do this and then I can get a dollar through this. Plus I do this. So I get my $3 that I need, but I also get these other things. And I think to me that that's the difference between a lot of these heavy Euro games and uh, not heavy games is that the choice is like, yeah, you can take the easy one and take the very obvious one or, but if you're clever, you take this better one and it's just going to get you what you need. Plus also these additional things and finding those little pathways and those little additional ways to get extra bonus things. That's what I think is unique about a more heavier game. Yeah, and I didn't know where to put this in terms of my classification, but I think the interconnectedness of a game adds to the heaviness but I think that falls somewhat into rules, somewhat into this opaque feature that if you have six different mechanisms working all at once, but you really have to inter- interact with all of them in order to perform well, um, I think that ties into what you said, that you can then play cleverly and be like, well, I don't need this action right now, but it gets me this thing that I do need for a future turn. And now I have both and things are going to go well because I played cleverly. Mm-hmm. So do you think those types of interactions need to be more, I want to say like hidden, they're not necessarily as apparent than let's say some games, those like quick little combos of I do this, it triggers this, which gives me this, which gives me that $3. Like do those in a heavier game, do you feel like those are less obvious that you have to find those things throughout the game as opposed to just seeing it like naturally progress through the board? I think it certainly adds to what heavy games are or uh, what you can do in a heavy game. I don't think I personally want that to be in my games or need that to be in my games. The fact that it's not quite obvious how to get certain resources or how to convert them into points isn't necessarily something I need in my games, but I do appreciate it when it's there. So one of the things I think about when I think heavy Euro game is I think after I'm done, does my brain hurt? You know, like just that sense of feeling like I've used a lot of brain capacity in order to do this. And I just I'm mentally exhausted from playing a game. Is that something that you would list as one of your criteria as well? Is just like the overall feeling after you're done? I didn't I didn't list it as an as an official criteria, but (laughs) I think subconsciously that the 10 games that I chose ended up being games that by the time I'm done, I think I'm ready to go home for the night (laughs) Um, and the ones that I left off. I thought were breezy enough to where I'm like ready for a round two. Yep. Um, so it would, it's not an official criteria. It could be an honorable mention. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I didn't really go into it thinking soup so hard. 
I think that goes back to the same, like, okay, you can do anything you want. So you can play a heavy Euro game and not burn your brain, but you're not going to do well. You're going to get like 20 points and everybody else is going to get 120 points. So in order to play a heavy Euro, well, you really need to burn your brain and put some manpower into that. You can just sit there passively and just make moves, but you're not going to score any points. Yeah, you it you would almost like trip into points if you did it, you know, without thinking about it. It does make me wonder how much does uh when we talk about games having AP or analysis paralysis, it makes me wonder is that also a criteria for like a heavier game that it it gives you that AP sense of or can a game be super heavy but you're not necessarily having that sort of analysis paralysis because your options of what to do are smaller, but you need to manipulate them in such a way that will eventually score you points. Like is, is analysis paralysis just a natural byproduct of a heavy Euro game? I I think it's interesting that you bring that up because um, that was one that I specifically left off of my criteria for a heavy game Um, because the things that, break my brain are more like uh, patterns or something and we can get to that when we talk about pipeline or uh, you guys played we played uh, trailblazers I think this past week mm-hmm. um, but making connections is something that's very hard in my brain and trying to plan that out so I think a game like that would give me more or a mechanism like that would give me more analysis paralysis than let's say something like Gaia project I don't think necessarily a heavy game translates into overwhelming decision space i think it, you might just be battling yourself when you play a heavy game i don't think it's um the game that's necessarily paralyzing you with decisions yeah i th- I agree with you i i totally think it, it's really like some some people depending on their skill set are gonna be easily able to make decisions and some people are gonna struggle you know with with certain types of mechanics and 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 i agree that it doesn't necessarily just because a game is heavy does not necessarily mean it's going to be AP prone, especially once you learn the game. It might be early on, but once you learn the game, although you could make the argument you get more AP once you know the game better because then you know all of your different choices. But it's kind of, they typically, like all of the turns are a little bit longer, so it just, you have time to think as well in between turns. And not a lot of changes necessarily in, in these boards. Some of them might, but you might have a backup plan. I think there's ways to get around AP in heavy Euro games. Yeah, I think there's also a difference between being paralyzed by the amount of things you can do because it's a heavy game. Something like, I'll, I'll keep bringing it up, Tricaria, because it's a 75 minutes each. You have a million things that you need to consider. And it does induce some analysis paralysis, but mostly because you can't remember everything that you have to do. So you're yep. constantly looking at a different port, part of the board and reminding yourself, oh, that connects to this and I need to do that. Okay, fine. And I think that's a, a different analysis paralysis to a, a clever mechanism, something difficult to wrap your brain around. And that might fall into more of that second criteria, that opaque nature of, of games. Um, but yes, I don't think necessarily something being analysis paralysis prone is going to make it heavy. That's a, a AP can be a byproduct of the game, but AP does not necessarily make a game heavy per se. No, I don't think so. There's a like I talked about whistle stop, you know, in my underrated games, and like that game is you're building routes, and on your turn it's very simple. You only have a couple things to do. You take a tile and you place it down. You make a route, and then you can like move your trains or whatever. But the amount of different routes you can create with the tiles. Because the tiles are all uh, hexagons, and they have a variety of routes that intersect through it. So you can place it adjacent to another tile and create, you know, a dozen or more different connections. So there's so many different things to consider with that game. So for me, like that's where my like similar to what you were saying, Adine, creating that kind of stuff does bog me down with my AP because I'm trying to figure out. Not necessarily the optimal move, because at, at, at one point, at some point, I'm just not going to even like, I'm just going to take my turn because I don't like taking slow turns. But at some point, you're just you're just sitting there and constantly thinking like, I'm just trying to figure out what's like the least worst option, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not trying to do, I if I do the best option, cool, but I'm also not trying to do the worst option. 
and that game's not super heavy, right? It's it's pretty no, I wouldn't mi- say so. Midway, no. but you still have a lot. You have so many different options. That's really where the APness comes in is the options that you have. I think that's a great example for a game that could have a lot of analysis paralysis, but ultimately is a pretty light game for me. Um, and I think that's what sort of separates that again, where you know you might have analysis paralysis there, but if you spent ten percent of the time thinking and just did a move, you're probably going to play with like eighty five percent efficiency anyway. Um, you don't need to put in that extra brain power to perform adequately. I think you can count on other people being dumb or making mistakes, and then you can still come out on top without having to put in that effort um, or without having to be stuck in analysis paralysis land. But I think in a heavy game, if you're paralyzed by these choices, you can't just make a move because, again, it might not translate to points. It might lose you resources that you desperately need, and then you're stuck for two rounds out of six. Yeah. Um, it's not forgiving for just doing the thing. I think another good example of a game that gives me a lot of analysis paralysis, but is particularly light, is Five Tribes. Oh my god, yeah. You can look at that board for an hour and figure out the best move, the second best move, the third best move. But your brain will probably pick up a decent move in 10 seconds. Or at least a move that you would like to you would like to do to progress your game forward in some yeah, way. Yeah, like you can choose a move and be like, Ah, I'm fine with this. It's probably good enough. And then someone else does something a little bit better. And you're like, oh, I guess I missed it. Um, but you could sit there for a really long time and think of all these permutations and come out with the ideal move. But again, you might be two points ahead of the, the person that didn't spend as long as you did. It's just not worth it. It's not no, worth no. spending the time doing it. Yeah. But, but in a heavy game, I think the time is worth uh, spending on it. So I'm sorry when I take long turns. <laughs> no excuses, it Dean. <laughs> it's uh, it's at this point it's like somewhat of a joke that we have with a Dean about um he he likes to take his time with his turns and I think well he likes to chit chat too so true, there's yeah. that I do yeah, forget his turns sometimes yes <laughs> yeah he likes to critique a game as he's playing um uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a hard he likes to socialize game. while we're playing a game which I thought was very clear that he's not playing games for fun. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the part that gets me is he clearly doesn't like playing games for the sheer fun of it. He likes to play games to be punished. So maybe the fun for him for a game night is interacting with us. That's probably what it is. The socializing. And then we're like, stop chit-chatting. Take your turn. Yeah, I do the classic. Whose turn is it? What's funny is I've, I've, I've been saying that a lot lately at like game nights. And I've been like really cognizant of the fact that I've been saying it. And I, the problem is legit. I have no idea whose turn it is. Like, I know when we were talking in previous podcasts, I'd be like, yeah, I'd say that just to kind of progress the game forward. Legit. Lately, I'm like, I le- I literally don't know whose turn it is. So I just, <laughs> I really want to know. A like, legit question. Yeah. When I, when I first started playing board games, I would say that very sarcastically often because I knew whose turn it was. Now I'm busy. My mind doesn't have the capacity to think about these games as much. So when I ask that question now, it, well, like Bob said, it's very uh, genuine. I don't know whose turn it is. I'm just trying to make sure it's not mine. <laughs> the best part is lately we've been we've been playing one game in particular that I think Natasha and I are going to review coming up, and uh, it's happened like the last couple times we played. I've just been like, "Whose turn is it?" And a Dean, without question, he's like, "It's mine. Calm down. I'm taking my turn." <laughs> That's a pretty safe bet. Yes. <laughs> All right, so so we have said what makes a heavy Euro game. We got rules, and then yep. number two. How did you define? How did you say number two was the t- the, the word that comes to mind is opaque. I, I don't know how else to how, describe how it. to get points. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then the third one to me is how tight a game feels in terms of let's say resource conversions or how much money you get versus how much money you need. You start with very little, you end with a lot, and you have to really earn it. The turn angst is real. I, I just put all of this under the umbrella term of tightness in a game. Yeah. However, this is the one, this was also one that I was waffling on. Yeah, I think any uh, weight game can have tightness in it, an Azul, a Imhotep, but I think a heavy game is, again, much, much more punishing. You're going to be working towards something, and then someone's going to take that for the round. And your entire round is done. If you don't have money income and someone takes the money spot on the board and there is literally no other way to get it, 
and then you kind of just screwed for the entire round. I think that a heavy game will not allow you to come back from mistakes like that. And it's present all the time, everywhere in these heavy games. Yeah, I think the punishingness of them is really what makes them heavy. Like a game that you just get a lot. Like I love games where like combos and maybe earth, things like that, where you're like, I do this and then I get this and I get this and I get this. Like a heavy euro is like, I do this and I get a coin. I do this and I get a resource. You know what I mean? Like I get one thing and I have to fight tooth and nail for it. There's also sometimes feels like you're sitting there playing and you're like, all right, I need a single dollar. I need one coin. How in the heck am I going to get it on this board? And it's like, okay, if I, all right, if I go here and I get this stone, then I can go over here. I can take that stone and turn it into clay. And then I can go over here with that clay and then, okay, I'll get my dollar but then I won't be able to do anything the rest of the game because I've spent everything getting that $1 that I needed. <laughs> and to go along with the feeling of tightness, I, I always think of like Lahav because Lahav has this weird thing where you get a bunch of stuff like Natasha likes, mm-hmm. right? You're like, here's all this stuff. But in the back of your mind, you're always like, how the heck am I going to feed my people? Like I have to feed them every single round. And Mm -hmm. there are times where, like, you don't get a lot of moves in a round. So you'll end up, like, taking all the fish because you just need to get through this feeding phase, you know? Mm -hmm. It has a lot of tightness with that regard, too. We often have talked about comparing... We've compared Agricola to Caverna. And I would consider both of them fairly heavy euros. But there's definitely a big difference between Agricola and Caverna. Caverna feels heavy because it's it's big, like physically big. There's a lot of pieces. It's a very lengthy game. But it doesn't feel like a really heavy euro because it's not punishing, right? Like you can go do a whole lot of things. Like your people aren't going to starve like they do in Agricola. In Agricola, you have to hit all those big milestones. Otherwise, you're going to lose points. Um, same with a Caverna, but it's a lot easier to do. So that's kind of, I think, what Adin's hitting on is like how p- more punishing Agricola is over Caverna. Yeah, that might be a better way to say this or to title this third criteria rather than tightness, just generic how punishing it is to play. But again, that that feels, again, this one was sort of uh, on the cusp, similar to how much a game lends itself to analysis paralysis. I think lighter games can have very uh, difficult moves to make or very uh, tight decision spaces where if you don't do it when you need to do it, you're out for the game. Uh, but they, those games are usually shorter or there's something else in the game that's not as punishing and will allow you to come back or another player is prone to make that mistake and you're going to be fine. Um, I think a heavy game has a ramp up. So if you make a mistake early and you're down in income or something, you're down the entire game. There's not really a way to come back from an early mistake. And you, you have to be on your toes from the beginning of the game. Whereas in the lighter game, you might be able to come back because someone else did something stupid. You know, it's funny you bring up lighter games about, you know, having like punishing turns. I think the main difference between a lighter slash medium weight game as opposed to a heavy game is if you make that mistake in a light or a medium game, you can you can still you're still fine. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you didn't you made a mistake and it's not and it cost you something, but you can you can come back from it. Like you're not spending the rest of the game trying to fix that previous mistake or make up for that previous mistake. Like Mm -hmm. if in, you know, a game you make a mistake and you're like, man, like I clearly messed up. Mm -hmm. You can pivot and do other things and still perform well. You know, when you talk about, you know, being on your toes from the very beginning, like I think of the game Food Chain Magnate. I have not played it, but... My main reason for not playing it is I do not want to go into that game, make a mistake on turn two, and then spend the next two hours losing. Mm-hmm. You know, like that game is extremely punishing in that regard. Like if you mess up in the beginning, you're done. I'll correct you on one thing. It's not another two hours that you're going to be sitting there. Probably closer to like four. <laughs> so you can Bro, you just, it's worse. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I'm out. I think, I think with the lighter games, it's less that you've made a mistake. It's more like... You probably should have gotten this 
but you ended up choosing this decision because it was still really good. So you got a lot of really good things. Like you're still getting good stuff in the in those lighter games or in the yep. the heavier games. It's like if you don't get that that tile that gets you income, like then you just don't have income. Now you're fighting for income the whole game. You know, stuff like that. It's not necessarily that you're you've made a mistake or but you have not made an optimal move and not making optimal moves are enough to not win you the game strangely enough i think a good example to sort of showcase what i'm thinking about in terms of uh, a lighter game allowing you to fall behind and still be okay in heat even though it's not really a euro game you can have a turn where you don't go super fast and you're behind everyone but then everyone else is going to have a turn where their hands are clogged by heat and then you're going to have a great turn you're going to come back and it's just sort of the ebb and flow of the game. Mm-hmm. But in an actual uh, punishing heavy euro, you make that early mistake and you fall behind. There's no turn where in the fifth round, if someone makes a mistake, it doesn't matter. They're already 400 points ahead. You're, you're too far behind to even catch up because of that mistake that they made. You may be able to capitalize on it in a small way, but not to make up for a previous mistake that was either much earlier in the game or much more grand in scale. But a lighter game will, like I said, allow you to come back from that because it's just sort of how it happens in those games, I think. All right. That is how we are defining what a heavy Euro game is. Come back next week as we're going to sit down with Dean again, and we are actually going to be listening to his top 10 heavy Euro games. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.